Welcome to the Spindrift Podcast. I'm Aoife and each episode I'm joined by a rider or racer to explore their story, experiences, highs, lows, memorable moments and lessons learned. From pro racers to everyday riders and community advocates to bike industry insiders and anyone who has a great story to tell and share. This episode I'm joined by Nikita Ducaro, a Swiss-American BMX park athlete and Olympian. She shares how anxiety, depression and panic attacks have affected her life and racing career and how she manages them. She also talks about what it's like behind the scenes at the Olympic Games and what the inclusion of BMX in the Olympics has meant for women in the sport. We also talk about Mind Tricks, the movement she started to encourage people in action sports to open up about mental health. Nikita, thank you so much for joining me uh, for a chat today. And um, where are you beaming in from? I'm currently at my home in North Carolina, um, where I've only been for about two weeks. <laughs> and I'm already leaving again on Tuesday. It's a jet-set lifestyle. And we're going to find out a little bit more about like what it's like you know, living the life of a professional BMX athlete. Um, but first of all, I wanted to say congratulations because you. one of the reasons you're just back is because you're off in Abu Dhabi and you won silver at the World Champs. So congratulations. How does that feel? Thank you. Um, it's pretty crazy. It was a bit of a whirlwind few weeks leading up to it. Um, and then the event itself was... I, I want to say it was one of the most stress, maybe the most stressful contest I've ever been a part of, including the Olympics. Wow. Um, I'm not sure why exactly, but I definitely was not feeling my best on the bike. And so just getting through that event already was a win. And then to come away with a medal was a big surprise and pretty awesome, I guess. I mean, silver when you're like, yeah, it wasn't my best is pretty awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's... Like now there's so many women in the field that could take it. And so it's kind of like this, this one just, it happened to be my day because there was, you know, like I said, there's a a group of women that could have taken it that day. And I just got lucky that I was able to hold on um, for my runs because yeah, it could have gone many different ways. But it must be exciting to have, have so much sort of nice tight competition pushing each other on at that level. Yeah, it's it's really cool because having come from like the days when there was rarely even a competition for us and then when there was there would be maybe three three people attending um now to have such a huge class and then also have the level be where it's at where it really can you can't predict what's going to happen anymore. Um so it's definitely exciting, keeps us on our toes. It keeps us pushing ourselves so that we can stay at at the top. Um, and yes, yeah, it's, it's been really exciting to watch watch and be a part of that happening. Fantastic. Well, we're going to talk a little bit more about how you got to the position that you're in now. And it's a, I hope you don't mind me saying it's it's a really interesting and quite a different story to what you often hear with pro athletes. And I think one of the other things that sort of really struck me is... Um, how you know how open you are about talking about it and also what you've done as well to to sort of use your experiences to help others so if you don't mind Nikita let's let's go back in time to little Nikita um and tell us like were you always into cycling were you always into riding bikes or or is that something that came later how how did you get into BMX well I'd say 
I would say yes. I think I was always into riding bikes, but just as like a kid out in the street, like playing with my brothers and stuff. I didn't ever really, I wasn't around or I didn't know anything about cycling as a sport. Um, And so it really just started like that. Like, you know, my parents got us bikes to ride around in the street. And then um, when I was about 14 is when I saw BMX on YouTube. And that was kind of the first time I'd ever seen any sort of cycling as as a sport. And even that's like the most freestyle of all the, the cycling sports. But it just it looked really fun. And I think I had tried to kind of copy some of the, the things I saw in the video on my mountain bike and it wasn't working that great. So that's kind of what prompted me to get a BMX bike. But yeah, that kind of all happened because, I mean, it started when I was a lot younger, but is that's when I started having like panic attacks. I mean, I, I remember it all the way back to like when I was in kindergarten, like five, five years old. Um, and it got progressively worse over the years because at the time I was, I was not when I was five, but as maybe like nine, 10, 11, I was playing soccer, like on a, on a team that was traveling and everything. So it was, I was doing it quite a bit. And then that's when like the panic attacks and the anxiety, I guess, got worse to the point where I wouldn't leave the house anymore. So then at that point, it's like, all right, well, I can't be on a soccer team because I have to like commit to that. And it's not just about me. There's a whole other team. Mm -hmm. Um, and I guess the the deal with my parents letting me stop playing soccer was that I needed to do some sort of sport because they weren't just going to let me go hide in my room and never come out. Because yeah. at this point, I'm not going to school. Wow. I'm not, I barely would like get in the car to go to the grocery store that's like 10 minutes away, like nothing. So, you know, they're trying to find a way to make sure I'm not just going to waste away. <laughs> and so... I came up with the the idea of like, all right, I'm going to, it started with mountain biking. I said, Mm -hmm. I'm going to go mountain biking because there were some trails near the house that I was like, all right, I can just go out on my own when it, when it feels like I can do that. Um, and then that started, that kind of led to like, the main thing I always liked was jumping. Uh And so that's kind of what then led to, all right, BMX is like more focused on that, that type of stuff. Yeah. I think not long after I'd seen the first few videos, I saved up for a BMX bike, and then it kind of just went from there. And, uh, I mean, the rest is history, which we're going to delve into um, shortly. But before before we do that, do you mind me asking a little bit more about your experiences with anxiety? Because, uh, you know, I think a lot of people have experiences of anxiety. It takes lots of different forms. It depends, you know, every person is different. Um, and yours, uh, yours was really quite debilitating for you. It affected your life a lot. Do you know, you know, what triggered the escalation or, you know, was there anything specific that you could pin it to or is it just, it just built? I, I feel like it just built. I, I really don't know because I know there was, there were some moments that sort of escalated it to me, like not leaving the house. I think, you know, cause we would go back to Switzerland every year mm-hmm. and, um, when I was, I think when I was 10 and 11, I got. I remember being like really sick, traveling to Switzerland and then in Switzerland, and then I think that sort of made me stop wanting to like get on a plane because I had yeah. just had these really terrible experiences on the plane being sick, 
And then I think it kind of just progressed from there, but it definitely was always there because I remember even, you know, back in kindergarten, Mm -hmm. um, the time, you know, it just was like, oh, she's just crying. Um, But I remember like moments at school and like having a really hard time going to school and being left at school. I don't know exactly why, Mm -hmm. like none of my brothers have it. We all grew up in like very, almost the same kind of situation and stuff. So yeah, I have no idea, but um, it kind of just started getting worse and worse as I was like going into my teen years, which I guess, you know, becoming a teenager didn't really help with that either. But at the same time, I think the older I got, and also I was able to kind of express myself more and also understand a little bit more. So I was able to like tell my parents what was happening versus when I was younger, it was like, why, why is this child screaming and crying about nothing? Yeah. Um, so it did get a little easier to then start working through it as I got older, because then I could actually, I had words for what was happening. And it sounded like your parents were, you know, very supportive and trying to sort of help you deal with what you were going through. Yeah, I mean, they were amazing, because like I said, at the start of it, none of us knew what was happening. And so, I mean, thinking about it, I don't know how they did it. I don't know how they managed to (laughs) not strangle me. Like, I remember kind of fighting a lot with my parents because it did just seem like I was, you know, I didn't want to go to school. And it's just like, oh, it's a typical kid. Like, they don't want to go to school. But Mm -hmm. in fact, like, I was terrified. And so I was doing at that point, it was like, if I had to hold on to the door handle with all the strength I could muster while they're trying to pull me into the car. Like, that's what I was going to do. And I like I've heard from like some of my friends, parents, like they remember like scenes like at school, my parents trying to like pull me out of the car and I just was would hold on to anything I could. Wow. So then, yeah, I think they kind of started my mom. She really did a lot of stuff, like brought me to a lot of different psychologists and and different sort of like holistic treatment options and all all sorts of stuff uh, when I was younger. And they just, yeah, I guess the biggest thing was that they just, they, they kept trying to push me to make sure like they weren't just saying, okay, just stay in your room because then I would have stayed in there forever. Yeah. But they tried their best to understand because you really can't understand unless you go through it. So they really just tried their best to like listen and support what was happening while still doing their best to try and kind of challenge me to to try and overcome it a bit. It sounds like a a really good combination that just just what you needed and then when you sort of pushed you enough so that when something like mountain biking and then BMX came along something meshed there didn't it for you you were saying like you you loved the jumping and it was something you could do on your own terms close to home when you were feeling up to it and it was sort of super low pressure kind of um kind of Mm -hmm. experience how did um how how did how did bmx then develop for you 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 start off playing in your in your front yard and you've come a long way since then (laughs) yeah it's been pretty crazy um i think the the year the summer that I got a bike, um, my whole family went to Switzerland, as usual, without me. And I think this was the second time that they'd gone without me now. And so I stayed with my my mom's mom, um, who lived maybe 15 minutes from us. And I stayed with her for six weeks. And during that time, I was just, every single day, I was outside in front of her house on my BMX bike, um, trying tricks. 
And I think that's when I really realized like how much fun it was. And I also, during that time, met some um, other kids in, in that area that rode BMX. And so I remember like getting my aunt to drive me like five minutes down the road to meet up with them. And they had built some little jumps. And then there was a little skate park that was pedal distance from my grandma's house. And so those were like two little things that I was comfortable. It was like close enough that I could kind of do it on my own and still be okay. Yeah. Um, and so that summer, I just, that's what I, I was just riding the whole time. And um, yeah. So when did you make the move from from like riding with your friends in your local neighborhood to then sort of competing? What what prompted that that move? Um, I'm trying to think of what year that was. Eventually, like the next step was that there was a like a real indoor skate park about 30 minutes from my house, mm-hmm. and um, my aunt and uncle had like a motorhome, and that's the only way I would go was mm. in in that like this giant thing that we we would have to drive just for 30 minutes um and so I would start going there a bit and there was a big scene there and I think there was some amateur competition that came there one year and I didn't compete in it because uh, there was no like women's or anything but I was I was still like there and around and it was just so much fun like seeing everything and and hanging out with everyone and so then I think eventually there was another event like two hours away that I went to just just another like local skate park thing. And so the more as I started meeting more people, like in the the area, it was just kind of about doing like little trips to ride different skate parks Mm -hmm. and, and meet up with them. And I would say, when I started, it was like a couple years later that I that I went to a few competitions. But at the time, there wasn't really much for like women, it was Mm -hmm. just a bunch of random amateur competitions but I'd still that's when I started like kind of using that to push myself to to attend these events because I knew how much fun it would be and so I was like really using that to to get myself to put aside this fear Mm -hmm. and try to you know make make the trip so just getting a little bit farther and a little bit farther and a little bit farther every time. And uh, yeah, yeah, just using the, the positive draw of the, you knew you were going to have fun when you were there. And um, what is it? Yeah. Can you describe what it's like? Because I've never been to, um, a, I've never ridden BMX. I've never been to a BMX event. Um, you know, what is it like? Do you, what's the atmosphere? What do people do? Do you like, do you all ride at the same time? How do you know who's dropping in? It's a, it's amazing <laughs> to watch, but it, for me, it's like, it's quite confusing because I don't know what's going on and I don't want to get in anyone's way. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty, it's a bit hectic. Um, like it's definitely gotten more serious over the few, over the past few years, mm-hmm. of course, with Olympics and stuff. But I think we've done a decent job like the riders have done a decent job of still keeping it very friendly and kind of keeping that community vibe the practices i think because we have like in my opinion we well in my opinion and a lot of other riders opinions we do not get enough practice time like we'll get maybe an hour of practice on the course that does not before we have lot. qualifying wow no and it's and it's with like depending on the event, it could be with like 10, 15, 20 other riders. And yeah, you don't really know when everyone's dropping in. Luckily, we kind of like the top riders, we've competed so much and practiced so much with each other that we tend to know kind of where they're going to go mm-hmm. <clears throat> when they drop in. Um, 
And it's a bit harder when there's like new riders that come in because you have no idea where they're going to go. But it's you kind of just have to be smart about it. And at the same time, you have to like make your presence known and, and drop in because otherwise, if you're if you're playing nice and waiting there the whole time and letting everyone drop in, you're never going to get to go. So it's yeah, I mean, there's collisions a lot. We have collisions in practice. And that, that's something we've kind of tried. We've been trying to advocate for a little bit is is more practice because it would be a lot less dangerous and we'd be able to put on a better show mm. that, that does sound like quite a short amount of time to yeah sort of... it's very short because it's a new course every time and we we don't even know what the ramps feel like we don't know the layout so yeah it's definitely hopefully that's something that will change um soon but other than that so that's like practice and i mean when it when there's not practice going on because a lot of us ride with each other outside of events, like mm-hmm. mixed between countries. And so outside, you know, we do, we'll go do, hang out together and do stuff. Like in Abu Dhabi, we went to the desert um, and rode camels and, and did sandboarding and stuff. So it's still like, it's cool because we can all still like hang out outside of the event yeah. and, and kind of explore whatever country we're in and stuff. So there's quite, there's, you know, at, at the level you're riding at, there's there's not that many people. So do you, does everybody know each other? Do you all get on? Or, you know, are you like kind of psyching each other out before competitions <laughs> to put yourself, each other off? You know, what's the vibe like? I think there's probably a bit of everything going on, but but most of us know each other and most of us like ride with each other a lot. So definitely like, once we're on the course, it's kind of like every man for themselves. Like you need to get your stuff done. But as soon as you're, as soon as that's done, as soon as practice or the event's done, it's like everyone's hanging out again and you know just having fun. So you you um you've started doing competitions. You're getting better and better. You're winning competitions. You're doing national level events. You're also competing because you've got joint citizenship, right, between the US and Switzerland. Mm-hmm. So you generally compete for Switzerland, is that correct? Yes. So you must have competed in, in a lot of European competitions as well. Yeah, um, there like we it's only been I think three years since we've had a European championships for our discipline. Um, but a lot of our World Cups have been in Europe because the ver- like the original event was in France. And they're they're spread out all over the world now, but th- there is a big portion of them that are in Europe. And we didn't really used to like before the Olympics and the UCI got involved. We didn't we weren't really competing for a country. It was mm-hmm. more like you're competing for your sponsors and stuff. So that was kind of a new concept when the Olympics got involved and stuff. That okay now like choose for those that have dual citizenship, like choose which one you're going to represent because then you can't change it. Yeah. So so for people. Um, from you know from who are listening who might be more familiar with like mountain biking it's like you can when you're riding the mountain biking world cup series you're riding for your team but in the world champs yeah. you're riding for your country and then you mentioned you've mentioned the olympics there which we we have to definitely come on to because this was it wasn't just awesome as an opportunity to to ride in the olympics this is the first time that this sports discipline was included in the olympics is that correct yes yep first time how how did people feel about it? Were people worried about like what that would do to the the scene and kind of the, the vibes around it when it starts becoming about winning medals for your country and becomes yeah. your country's Olympic squad? Oh, for sure. Yeah, there's definitely worries about that. Um, and I think there's pros and cons to it for sure. Like at times it's, you know, we kind of reminisce about 
when we had events that didn't involve all that stuff and it was everyone was a bit more together and stuff and now now it's definitely you can see it's separated by countries and the countries have teams and there's like outside people coming in now that are like the team managers and stuff and sometimes it's a bit weird because it's like they're like leading the teams but we don't know them at all and we know all the riders and so you kind of feel weird like you're intruding if you're trying to go talk to one of the riders that you've known for years and years and this you know this new person that comes in is like why are you talking to my rider so there's at times there can there can be some weirdness but um i think at the same time there's there's still events that aren't part of all of this so mm -hmm. if you're a rider that you know doesn't have any interest in that you can still compete at all these other things and at that have the kind of old school like jam vibe and and um and then you have street riding and stuff so i think i think there's like enough to go around and we do have to take some of these sort of i don't want to say bad things but changes because it has also brought a lot of amazing things and amazing opportunities especially for the women's side can you tell me a bit more about that what has it meant for women's bmx well i mean it at the very start it sort of guaranteed us that we would have like a women's class at these bigger events like the world cups and stuff it started to make things more equal um, and then it also, we started seeing more women because now the countries were getting involved and sending them as part of their teams. And so, and I think that was a big, a big issue before was that there weren't, there weren't many female athletes that had sponsors. And so if they were going to come to these events, it was on their own dime. Um, so now all of a sudden you have more women being able to attend these events, which means more competition, more people wanting to win. And then that in turn pushed the level faster in the last three years than it had you know in five ten years before that so now instead of like a class of five to eight women at a world cup we have you know 30 plus and there's a cap so it's it's pretty cool to see that and just see how much more the women's side of the sport has grown because of that that's an amazing increase that's fantastic to yeah. hear about yeah it's it's been pretty cool we're talking about the Tokyo Olympics, which is supposed to be in 2020. Um, yes. But as we all know, <laughs> 2020 didn't exactly go to plan. Um, no. Before we, we get to sort of exactly what happened there. I mean, so, you know, you, you, you know that you've made the Swiss Olympic squad. You know you're going to be competing uh, for Switzerland at the Tokyo Olympics. What kind of preparation did you start doing? And what kind of training do you do generally for your discipline? So I think I'm, I'm trying to think back to like when I got the official word that I was in and I don't know. I just know that I had moved to North Carolina at the start of 2020 yeah. and it was supposed to be a six month stay in preparation for the Olympics that would be happening that summer. Yeah. Then we get the word that they're postponed, not even a year. They didn't tell us a year at that point. They had just said they're postponed. And so at that point I was like, okay, well, I'm going to stay here in North Carolina I bought a house that summer, wow. so I was, like, permanently here. And then um, at that point, it was an interesting preparation. Like, for me, I I do things at a much slower pace. I like to go at a slow pace, so it was kind of nice for me. I, I still was went at training as if we were going to have the Olympics tomorrow. Right. And that's kind of just how I looked at it, because I, I felt like if I just thought, like, when is it going to be, then maybe I would slack a bit or not really have the motivation. So I just kind of kept going as if they were still happening. And 
at that point, like everything was shut down here. Um, and luckily we still had this facility that we could train at as like our little bubble. It was me, Daniel from Venezuela, Marin from Croatia, Brandon from Australia, three of the USA riders. So we had like our little bubble um, and everyone, you know, had the same goal, which was the Olympics. So it was really like we were just there every single day riding. We came together with like random pieces of equipment we had to make like a gym in the skate park because the gym had shut down, of course. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we were doing squats with like a we had a barbell, but then we had to drill holes through trash cans, <laughs> hang the trash cans on the barbell and then put random things in it to make it heavier. Wow. Um, so we really had like some random stuff set up, but it was a lot of fun. Like we just made it happen with what we had. And um, I think then eventually we got, you know, the official like, all right, it's postponed a year. And we kind of just kept doing that. Eventually the gym opened again and um, we started working out there again. But everything else sort of stayed the same. It's just like we ride every day still now as well. Like we ride every day, do a couple like strength and conditioning type workouts at the gym every week. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of it. Just just on the bike every day as much bike time as possible. So you don't use things like, I don't know, I've seen like with skiers who do things like aerials, they sometimes use trampolines to practice stuff. Do you do anything like that or is it you learning on the bike the whole time? Learning on the bike. I, I do want to do like an air awareness type camp as well like that because um, I think that could kind of help me. But it's all, we have a foam pit and stuff. So we have, and we have resis, which are like the softer uh, ramps. So it's mostly all just on, on bike training, but we have ways to, to practice things without landing on like hard surfaces. And when you finally, I mean, obviously things dragged on for quite a long time. Uh, I think if you speak to most people, everyone's like, it was sort of like nothing happened, but everything happened and no one knew what was going on. And it was I know it was particularly difficult for for lots of um, sports people who were you know, sort of waiting for events to happen or not happen and trying to pace their training. When the Olympics finally came round, how did you feel going into that? Was it, you know, did it feel significant? Were you nervous and anxious about it? I think by the time they came around, I mean, I felt the most the best I've ever felt in my bike in my entire life. Like, I had this year of uninterrupted training. No traveling to interrupt, you know, the routine and stuff. So that was, for me, that helped me progress so much. And we, luckily, they made, like, this last-minute world championships the month before Olympics. Mm -hmm. And that was the first event we'd had since, like, October of 2019. Wow, yeah. Uh, So now... June of 2021, we're having our first event back. And I felt really good at that event. I got I got silver, which was my first time on a world championships podium. Yep. So that also gave me a lot more confidence. Um, but just in general, I felt really good on my bike. So I was excited. I think the most stressful thing at that point was like not getting COVID yeah. before leaving. Because we had so many different tests to, we had to take to like get into the country and stuff. And it was like, We've made it this far, like, don't get COVID. <laughs> um, and so I think once I finally got there and I was, like, in the village, it was like, okay, there was still a little bit of, like, don't get COVID still. Yeah. But it was like, all right, we're here. And at that point, that's all that mattered. And so for someone, I mean, I'm I'm never going to the Olympics 
probably most of us aren't ever going to the Olympics. What's it like behind the scenes at the Olympics? The funny thing is that, like, growing up, I watch, I would watch the Olympics, mm-hmm. and it was always like, like, these people aren't even human, this event is insane, and then you go there yourself, and it's like, oh, we're just at another competition. Right. <laughs> like, these are all just, like, normal people doing their sport, and, like, yes, I didn't see, like, you know, the really, really big, like, famous athletes. I don't think they would, like, stay there in the village and stuff. I might have been a little starstruck if, if that happened. <laughs> but, like, still, it was, it really just felt like another competition, except there was, like, all sorts of sports there and, and like, so many more countries. And so it was a really cool experience just, like, walking around the village and, and just seeing, like, life happening everywhere and, like, eating in the cafeteria and, you know everyone's kind of focused on their own thing and and you kind of just do like your own plan but at the same time just taking in everything that's happening um and I don't know if it would have been different with spectators Mm. I guess we'll have to wait for Paris fingers crossed um but yeah it was it really just felt like another competition I was a lot more emotional like getting that that kind of medal but like the riding and everything was just yeah I was like all right we're competing like just do your thing so on your on your finals run yep did you have a good feeling about it did you did you go I think I'm on to a medal here I don't think so I think I just was like I definitely was freaking out at that point like I remember my heart rate was so high just standing there like maybe like 150 160 just standing there and um yeah, I didn't I didn't really have that like all right, like we're about to medal. It was more of just like please hold on and land your run. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And like I got got my first run done and that was a that was a relief and I felt good about it. And then of course I had like I, th- I think it got like a good score. Um well, I guess it did cuz it ended up being good enough, but um then it was like all right, now it's time to focus on the second run cuz on the second run is like some of the stuff I really wanted to do that mm-hmm. were like scarier tricks that I didn't have such a high success rate on. And then that one, unfortunately, didn't work out. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was just the thing is, is because it's a judged sport, even if you land your run perfectly, you still don't know what's going to happen. And so at that point, I still had to wait for the rest of the the women to mm-hmm. go and, and kind of just cross my fingers at that point that what I had done was was good enough for a medal. And it was. <laughs> it was, yeah. <laughs> do you carry your medal around with you? Do you have it sort of in a display box? Do you do you ever take it out and look at it? I just I have it just like on my my mantle downstairs. I try not to bring it around with me too much. I'm scared I'm going to lose it or something. But <laughs> no, fair enough. But I, I love that you've got um, the Olympic rings tattooed. Yeah, is Paris if you if you get selected is Paris you know a goal for you for the future? Another oh, Olympics, yeah. yeah? Yeah, definitely. That's that's the biggest goal right now. I mean, there's there's a lot more smaller events in between that I'm that I also want to do well at. Um, but everything's sort of to build on for Paris, and um, I guess with the with the World Championships um, placing that just happened, mm-hmm. they're telling me that it's it's basically means I'm in. Like I got my ticket in from that. Right. Yeah. But I I'm still I'm not sure. I'm just pretending like I didn't because mm-hmm. I just want to keep like doing well and and progressing and and just have that feeling again cuz I feel like after after Tokyo I sort of like lost my way a bit and I'm 
bringing it back now. And I just, I want to have that feeling again on my bike, like I did going into Tokyo of just, just how good I felt on my bike and how like connected I felt with it. What happened then after Tokyo? If you don't mind talking a bit more about when you say that you felt like you, you lost, lost yourself or lost it a bit there. Well, I mean, leading up to Tokyo, I had, like I said, I had ridden every single day. Mm -hmm. I had this routine every single day for over a year. And then after, like, I stayed in Switzerland a bit. I wasn't riding my bike every day. And I think it just took a while for me to get back into a routine when I got home. Mm -hmm. And I don't think I physically lost anything. But I think mentally, I didn't have that confidence on my bike. I lost some of my confidence. Um, and so I really had to, like, bring tricks back and bring that routine back. And then after, I say, around, I guess around Christmas time or around January of this year, I started like getting depression started coming back up a bit. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it was just kind of strange to like, how like work so hard towards this goal. And then it was just done. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, like, what do I, what do I do? Like, what, what now what? Yeah. Um, and I didn't expect to, to feel that having like gotten a medal and stuff, but I still did. It was just, it was like this big come down from the event, Yeah. which I feel that, like a little bit from every single event we go to. And I think this one was just on a much larger scale because it was so many years mm. of work towards that. Um, so then it got it got a bit bad, like in January. And I ended up having, like I ended up finding this treatment called TMS um, that basically is like, it stands for transcranial magnetic stimulation, I think. Mm -hmm. And they like put these things on your head and it's like weird tapping but I ended up doing that and it was like a I think it was like a six-week proc process every single day wow. I was in there um and I I really do feel like it it did something and mm -hmm. I think a combination of that and also like having to get up and do it and like go there physically every day yeah um kind of just started working my way back and like getting back into a routine and then yeah since then just we had some decent decent events this year and stuff so there's quite a bit of traveling and then yeah just trying to kind of get my confidence back on the bike so building building yourself up back uh, back as an athlete and as a as a person sort of dealing with those those setbacks um which is i think it's the perfect time to bring in um mind tricks which is an organization that you started um can you tell us what mind tricks is and, and what it's all about yeah, so it's basically, I mean, it started as an Instagram page um, because I was always sharing, like here and there I would do posts on my own page about sort of behind the scenes what had been going on mm -hmm. um, to show, I guess, the the struggles that go along with, you know, winning a medal or getting to travel the world and stuff and showing that even at this level, like you can still experience depression, anxiety, all those things. Mm -hmm. um, and so he started that page to for me to continue sharing and then also encourage others to share and kind of just have it all in one spot just to get people talking about it more and kind of open up the conversation. Um, and yeah, it doesn't have really like a, it's not really one thing or another. It's just kind of like an umbrella to talk about mental health. And we ended up doing like a, a little Red Bull event with it. Um, and they brought in a bunch of their athletes and um, we had this whole like conversation this whole day 
about mental health and just opening up to each other as athletes. And they were from all different sports. And it was cool how we all kind of realized that we deal with some very similar things. And so that was like another thing we did. Um, and there's there's some more more projects in the works of just just kind of using using that, I don't know, name or whatever to to encourage people to talk about mental health and get the conversation going. Yeah, because it's something that I think people, I think generally, thankfully, people are talking about more and acknowledging the fact that, yeah. you know, sort of most people will have some kind of mental health, um, mental ill health or mental health struggle at some point in their lives. So that's normal. Yeah. Like it's normal to have, you know, um, we've got physical health, we've got mental health. Sometimes it can be good, sometimes it can be less good. Um, right. But do you, like, I think one of the things that's been interesting that's only come out much more recently is the feeling that athletes are able to talk about it because I don't know if it's because of the additional perception and pressure that we we have of of athletes such as yourself like you're the you know so you that you're able to do these superhuman feats you've got this amazing physical prowess so obviously you've got the men you know incredibly mentally resilient as well but there must be so many other pressures I mean you're under so many pressures the pressures of competing of training of expectation of sponsorship hopefully more athletes feel like they're able to not just talk about it, but also maybe say, well, no, I, I you know, I'm going to take a break because I need to for my mental health in the same way that I would if I broke my leg or sprained my wrist. Yeah, I definitely see it happening more and more. I think it's definitely been changing over the last few years and it's not not such a hard thing. I mean, it still is hard, but yeah, it's it's becoming easier to talk about and and say say that you need a break or ask for help. And yeah, it's a good thing. Do you mind me asking what kind of things got discussed in the, in the Red Bull event? If you if you don't want to talk about it, that's fine. And obviously, you don't need to name anybody. <laughs> but you know, what what kind of common experiences had you had? I think a a main thing was you know kind of what happens dealing with an injury when you know pretty much your whole daily life is taken away from you, mm-hmm. and it's like, what do I do now in this time? That was a common thing of like dealing with yourself during the injury and also dealing with your your mind coming back from an injury um that seemed common and then even just like yeah that feeling of like we're expected to to be like strong and perfect and sort of breaking that expectation and and showing that it's okay to like have moments of you know, not, I don't want to call it weakness, but just down moments where things just aren't, aren't going super great and it's fine. And it's not, it's not like the end of the world or a bad thing, especially to show as well. Mm. And and how do you yourself deal with some of the pressures that you experience? I think for me, I've just kind of come to terms with like, I'm just going to show like who I am, mm-hmm. even even when it's not going great. And luckily, like everyone, everyone that I'm sponsored by, because I feel like that's, that's one of the bigger pressures is like, making sure your sponsors see that everything's going perfect and not wanting to upset them. So I'm really lucky that like, all right, all my sponsors are like understanding of, of all of this stuff. And it's like, you're not going to be perfect 100% of the time. Um, So I just like, I've made it kind of a mission to really make sure I'm being more transparent on my social media and be more open about all of the experiences, not just the good ones. Because even for me, I still ha- like feel that way about athletes I look up to, that they're perfect and that 
nothing's ever going wrong. And so it's, I love when they post stuff like that as well, because it's, it helps so much for me to read that and see like, okay, they're going through struggles too. They're still getting medals or maybe they're not getting medals right now, but it's okay. Yeah. Because they're building themselves back up and that's fine. That's not the end of the world. We're often harder on ourselves in a way that we wouldn't be to anyone else. You're like, well, I'm yeah. I'm obviously they're all they've all got it sorted. It's obviously just me that's struggling with this. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, and with your anxiety, uh, you don't get cured of of anxiety. It's it's something that you have, or at least that's my experience of it. Anyway, like I've always had yeah. anxiety, and sometimes I have it quite badly sometimes it's Mm -hmm. fine I'm managing it okay obviously there's lots of factors there like have I had enough sleep all of that kind of thing um how how have you how are you managing your anxiety and and have you got any techniques that work for you so for me it's yeah same thing like there's been moments where it's gotten really bad again and then there's moments where it's almost as if it doesn't exist um so it's it's been a just a lot of years of building up to figuring out what works and Mm -hmm. Um, like now and for the last few years, I started, I finally started taking medication and, and like, was like, all right, this, this is actually working. Like, this is what I need to be doing right now. But just that alone wasn't enough either. And like, I, I've built up all these tools, like with my psychologist that I've been with for eight, nine years, Mm -hmm. um, just to be able to like manage when that, when those times happen. Cause yeah, it's not, it's not like you can just get rid of it. It's more about learning how to manage it. So that's sort of what I've done. And then obviously, like, I was already doing all those things. And then it went to shit again. And then I did the TMS. And that was like something completely new that at that point, we were like, we need to like something needs to happen. Like this is an emergency. And so then we went back to the beginning and like did research and we found that. So it's sort of like a never ending thing. But you just have to be really open to to trying things and also being patient because sometimes it something doesn't work or it doesn't work right away. And that can be hard. Like when you've tried multiple things and like, it's not working and you're, you know, wasting all this time. Um, so it's really just, yeah, about trial and error. Yeah. And giving yourself a break, like, cause it can get so frustrating. Yep. Like, why can't I just get my brain to work? Like everyone else's brain yeah, seems to work. It seems so simple. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so let's look ahead to next year and beyond. So we've already mentioned that we know that like Paris Olympics, oh my goodness, are uh, big goals. So we're definitely going to be like crossing our fingers that you've like made the squad and that we're going to be cheering you on there. I'm very excited about that. But what's happening for you before that? So what are your 2023 goals? So 2023, we're apparently we're going to have six World Cups, which we haven't had that many in quite a long time. So really, I just I want to be able to do well at all of those World World Cups, not just podium, but I really want to be proud of my runs there and and be able to like take what I've been practicing to those courses because I I tend to have a hard time like warming up to new courses. And like, you know, with the, the very limited practice time we have, I really struggle with that. But then we're all I mean, we all have a world championships, a European championships. Like there's so many events happening next year that I'm really excited about all over like so many different countries, countries I've never been to before. Um, So yeah, just really about doing well at those events, riding how I want to ride, and then also being able to keep my routine when I'm home so I can continue to progress in between time. Um, And yeah, just be the best I can be on my bike for when Paris comes around. Fantastic. And 
I should yeah. know this, but is the uh, is the BMX Park World Champs in Scotland next year? It is, yes. <gasps> oh, my God. I'm very excited. Oh, I'm going to have to come I'm very and excited. cheer you on because that's going to be down yes. the road from me. Oh, my goodness, Nikki. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh. <laughs> okay. Very exciting. I am extra excited now, so that's going to be oh, very, very cool. <laughs> yeah, that'll be – that's, like, the first time I think we've had, like, such a – it's, like, all the different disciplines together, so that'll be really cool. And I've never been to Scotland. I've always wanted to go, so. Wow. I mean, it's probably going to rain, just to (laughs) warn you now. The cross country and the marathon is actually in the town that I live in. So, you know, if you're down this way, there you go. That's cool. Pop in for a cup of tea. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And just finally, um, of all the places that you've been and all the events that you've ridden in, what would you say is your, you know, sort of the most memorable moment of your riding experience to date? I really think that... This last one is for for a while. It's going to be the one I'm the most proud of because it's the one where it's like, how did we pull that off? Like literally on Thursday before qualifying, I crashed a couple times in practice, had a full on like panic attack, didn't know what I was going to do for my run. This is like 10 minutes until qualifying starts. Wanted to go home like everything and somehow not only did we make it through qualifying, but then ended up on the podium. So that's like. That was like a testament to my whole team of how awesome they are um, and just kind of showing myself like even when everything goes to shit, you can still pull it off. So I'm kind of using that and it was really fun also being in Abu Dhabi. So I'm using that as motivation of like, all right, we can still get it done even when conditions aren't perfect. Sounds sounds like the ideal example. Fantastic. Um, <laughs> Nikita, thank you so much for, for joining me for a chat this evening. It's been fantastic to talk thank to you. you and catch up with you. And uh, I can't wait to cheer you on you in, well. uh, in Glasgow later on this year. I hope you, yes. I hope you like Scotland. It's going to be <laughs> colder than Abu Dhabi, probably. So a bit of a contrast. That's there. okay. And um, <laughs> yeah, and we'll, we'll catch up with you soon. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for listening to the Spindrift podcast and I really hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, do hit that subscribe button because I have some more amazing guests coming up. And if you liked it, please leave a comment or review. It really helps more people discover the podcast and I read and appreciate every single one. You can also follow us on Instagram at spindrift underscore podcast and show notes, transcripts and so on will all be available on the Spindrift website. Thanks for listening. 